I'm assuming today that we have businessmen and women who are aspiring entrepreneurs. Am I correct? Amen. Um, this is this gets my juices flowing. This is one of my favorite passions is to talk to men and women that are in business and how can we take the kingdom in the marketplace? One of the greatest channels to make that happen is through business. Uh, I own my wife and I, the second oldest flower shop in America. It was established in 1851. Uh, it's the oldest business in our city. Plus we own three other businesses. We have a real estate developing company. We have an investment company, and we own Kingdom Broadcasting Network Studios. Along with that, we've been pastoring for 28 years, and I am the CEO of the Christian Chamber of Commerce of Western Pennsylvania, which we just established in the last few months. Uh, God is doing a lot of things in our city. We're doing a lot of things that, that compare to what you're doing here. It's an exciting time to be in the kingdom. Uh, when I was driving up here praying for your pastors and for this church, the Lord began to speak to me that this is a season of epiphanies. For this church, uh, the word epiphany comes from the Greek, from two Greek words, epi, phanaru. The word epi means upon, phanaru means apparent. And so when epiphany comes uh, it to you, it is what comes upon you has been apparent to God. So therefore, that which has been, has been apparent to God in you, about you, what's been apparent to God, what He's going to do through you, when an epiphany comes, it becomes now apparent to you and everyone around you. So I believe this church has been in a season of preparation. How many know God never wastes preparation? Amen. In fact, your whole life has been preparation for the season that we're transitioning into. Someone say, thank you, Lord. It's an exciting time to be alive. So we've been making this transition. We're, we're moving from what we would call the church age into the kingdom age. And there's a transition. In fact, uh, the church age pretty much, even though there are churches in existence, that era is over. Now, we're not doing away with the church. We're just doing away with how we used to do church. And now church has now become, we are transitioning and we're putting a new face on the 21st century church. What will the 21st century church look like in the future? And we are defining that. And that's one of the assignments of apostles. How do we define what God is doing in the church? And so we're seeing a new emerging of this royal priesthood, this chosen generation, this holy nation that God is raising up in the earth, and he's assigning and gathering people. There's, a, there's an immigration, there's a migration of men and women like you and many businessmen and women that God is bringing to apostolic centers like this. See, this church is an embassy, and it's in the ideal place where no one wants to be. <laughs> Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, can any good thing come out of Fortier? Yes, I'm standing in the premises. And so what God is going to do from here, He is going to influence, I don't believe only this region, but the nations from what God is doing here. I mean, I believe you're coming into a season of epiphany. So therefore, that which has been reserved for you in the heavens is about to become apparent to you and everyone around you. Someone say amen. So it's an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to be in the kingdom of God. Um, I, I want to give you some very practical principles. Um, as a business person, this is my 42nd year in the flower industry. I look pretty good for 52, huh? I started when I was 10 years old. No. <laughs> I started when I was, I was 16 years old in the flower business, and very quickly I started to apply these principles. The Lord told me uh, after I had come back to the Lord and I was in business, 
uh, everybody started handing me books on Christian businesses. And God told me, I don't want you to read any of these books. The only book I want you to read, the manual for business, is going to be my word. I have a stack of books like this that I've not opened one of those books. I've not read the introduction. I've not read the back cover because God forbid me to do it. So what I'm giving you is my personal experience based upon uh, principles and patterns that I have drawn from the Word of God. Understand something. We live as kingdom people. We live by principles and patterns. And when you apply those principles, they work. They do work. So I want to talk just a little bit and just give you a uh, brief synopsis, a prophetic picture of where we are. Today's battlefield is for kings in the marketplace. We are called to help men and women catch the revelation that going to war Monday through Friday to do great exploits and be providers for the kingdom of God births real life focus. When kingdom is only a weekend event on a Sunday morning, men's need and passion for conquest is always misplaced. When kings do not have a clear vision as providers of the kingdom, their need for conquest will be misdirected. Think of David. When David was to be out on the battlefield with the kings, he was in the bedroom with Bathsheba. When men and women have misplaced conquest, they will always end up in sinful, non-productive lifestyles and activities, self-indulgence, self-pity, and other sins. Man was created for conquest and adventure. I may know that, I don't know about you, but when, when I'm, I'm, I'm right now engaged in a few projects, that to me is kingdom conquest, and it drives me. See, we were created to be driven by purpose. Are we communicating? And so therefore, when God gives you a vision, gives you a purpose, and you are driven by that, you will not have time to waste doing foolish things. Are we communicating? So I want to talk to you about some practical principles that I've lived by that have worked for me in my businesses, my ministry, and in life. And I call this the C factor. The calling, the cause, the cost, the covenant, the covering, the commitment, the culture, and the crowning. <laughs> the calling, the cause, the cost, the covenant, the covering, the commitment, the culture, and the crowning. Are we getting this on CD? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you very much. Because uh, you probably won't be able to follow me. I speak very quickly. See Peter Wagner. Uh, we were ministering one time together. He opened up his iPad, began to type. He finally threw it down. When he got up after me, he says, do not ever take notes with Dr. Mark Kaufman. So uh, that's what I would recommend. It's not a good idea. Just listen and then get the CD and review it. Let's talk about the calling first. Calling. You have to, uh, if you have a business wanting to start a business, you must define your company. What do you do? The purpose for its existence. If you don't, if you don't name your company properly, amen, uh, uh, then you're not going to nature it. When you name something, you're naturing it. Do you remember when Rachel, in her sorrow while she's dying, okay, she names her son Ben-Onai. She was naturing him, son of my sorrow. So <clears throat> Jacob, the father of Ben-Onai, rises up and renames him because he is going to nature and define him. You will not be called Ben-Onai, son of my sorrow. I'm going to call you Benjamin, son of my right hand. It's very important that you understand that in the calling, define your company. What you name it, you will nature it. Number two, the cause. You must define your vision. Where do you want to go? 
What is your five-year plan, your 10-year plan? Understand something, the Chinese have a 500-year business plan. In the States, we can't get a one-month business plan. They have a 500-year business plan that they are planning for, for generations to come. So make sure that you <clears throat> understand the cause, the cause. <clears throat> what you don't plan for won't come to you. What you don't plan won't come to you. George Burns, the comedian, when he was 95 years old, was planning his 100th birthday party. His best friend said, George, you know, in all due respect, aren't you a little presumptuous here? You're 95. How do you know you're going to make it to 100? Why don't you plan your 96? George said this, what you don't plan for will not come to you. He made it to his 100th birthday and died. He should have planned for his 110th birthday. So anyways, please understand that you must, you must plan. That's the cause. Uh, you have to learn to live in the next and not the now. You must learn to be prophetic in your business. Those who learn to live in the next and not the now will always be preparing for the future. Let me give an example. In the flower industry right now, we are growing in our greenhouses poinsettias. No one has called this week and said, hey, Mark, how's your poinsettias growing? I like to buy some. No one is buying them because it's out of season, but we're planning for the next season. So when the next season does come and the phones ring, we're going to have our poinsettias. Therefore, in business, don't plan for the now, plan for the next. And if you do, you will always be prepared <clears throat> for what is coming to you. Number three, the cost. There has to be strategies. It's going to cost you something. There's going to be a price. David says, I don't want anything that doesn't cost me something. Listen to me, if your sacrifices in business do not touch your heart, they will never touch God's heart. We have, we, have, we have a society that has an entitlement spirit. We think because we're believers that God should just do it for us. You know, give it to me and give it to me now. We want everything easy, accessible, microwave mentalities. It's going to cost you something. There is going to be a price tag. We don't understand delays. I love delayed gratification. Because the greater the wait, the greater the glory. And there's times that God will allow you to wait because he has something better in mind than what you would settle for than if you had it right now. It's called the cost. Everyone say the cost. Vitally important you understand that. There are no entitlements in the kingdom. I, had, I happened to be in the flower shop one day when one of the girls come, a lady come in, and she wanted to apply for the job. She brought her resume. And so normally I don't do that. My brother does that. He runs the flower shop for me. But I was there. I thought, you know, let me just... See this girl's resume and, you know, find out what she's about because I was wanting to hire someone in the back room as a designer. She hands me a resume and, <clears throat> and I look, she's 29 years old. She graduated when she was 19. I start looking at the list of places she has worked at. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> now, she was applying for the designer position, which would take 12 months to train her, which we pay for her, Okay. And then she would, at that point, she would be an actual certified designer. And so I asked the young lady, I says, what makes you think that I would hire you and I would pay to train you for one year when I look at your resume and you've only stayed at one business, one place, for one year? She laughed, grabbed the resume. She goes, you're right, I never thought of that, and walked out the door. That's the, that's the entitlement spirit that this generation has. We have to understand there's going to be a cost if we're going to be successful in business. Number four, the covenant. This is important. Who are your partners? Who are the catalyst? 
that you allow into your life to help you to be able to create an economic engine of success in your business. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. That's not just in marriage. That's in business. The reason why most businesses fail is because you have someone who, is a, who, who, who has gone to school uh, to be a jeweler, but he knows nothing about accounting, knows nothing about marketing. So he's trying to do what he is not prepared to do. Therefore, he's spending more time trying to market himself than he is doing what he's really skillful at in making jewelry. Therefore, in two years, he goes out of business. Therefore, surround yourself with people. Uh, there's nothing wrong with weaknesses. But quit focusing on your weaknesses and focus on your strengths. Do what you do best and get people to do what you can't do. Success begins at that point. <clears throat> are we still communicating? It's not good for man to be alone. Who are your mentors? Who are the people you're bringing into your sphere because you are here and you want to go there? It's going to take someone to get you there. You have to find people that are doing what you're doing successfully to get there. If you want to be a millionaire, you do not go and ask a homeless man. He is not going to get you there. You ask a millionaire mentor. So find someone that is doing what you are doing or wanting to do, and they're doing it successfully, <clears throat> and allow them to begin to sharpen you. Allow them to begin to work with you. you got to know who your Peter, James, and John is. Jesus did not expose his innermost secrets to anybody. He left nine disciples at the bottom of the mountain. He went up the Mount of Transfiguration and took only Peter, James, and John. They were his inner circle. Why Peter, James, and John? What did Peter preach? He preached on hope. James preached on faith. John preached on love. You need three individuals in your life, and not your 2,000 Facebook friends. They don't count. I'm talking who are your three intermost inner circle friendships that you can trust in your weakest moments, when you need to expose your heart, expose your weaknesses, you can't take everyone up the mountain with you. Define who those three people are. You need a Peter who will put hope in you and vision in you when you're discouraged. You need a James who will preach faith to you and put faith in you to keep moving and pressing towards the mark and the goal that God has called you to. And you're going to need a John. Someone's going to love you in spite of you and in spite of what everybody else thinks of you. When you fail, they will be there to pick you up. Who are your Peter, James, and John that will help you? Are we still communicating? Hallelujah. Number five, the covering. Who covers you? <clears throat> well, I think we know. At least I hope that your apostle and first lady here are your spiritual covering. And it's vitally important in this day because we really are in a spiritual battle that you do have proper covering. It is so important that we know the voice of God when we're in business. Because understand something. Uh, moving in the prophetic is a lot more than, 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 than you saying, thus saith the Lord to someone. There's a higher dimension of the prophetic that we move in, in the kingdom of God. Moving in the prophetic is knowing when to build, when not to build. When to expand, when not to expand. When to grow your marketing and when not to. When to hire and when not to hire. That's real prophecy. And we need that kind, that kind of prophetic unction that will be a part of, of, of who we are if we're going to be successful. And doing this, we will need to know the voice of God. To know the voice of God in the kingdom, you must be able to, first of all, hear the voice of God in your apostle. Do you remember that the Bible tells us that after Hannah had brought her son Samuel, as a young boy who could not discern the voice of the God, where did she bring him first? She brought him first 
He's an emerging, growing prophet. Brings him first to Eli, who was going to be a spiritual father. In the middle of the night, God speaks to him and says, Samuel, Samuel. He goes running, he goes running to Eli, wakes up Eli, did you call me? See, because God, I understand something, God sounded like Eli. Are we communicating? So therefore, you have to be able to know the voice of God in your apostle and in your first lady so you can know God when he speaks to you for yourself. They help you to be able to, listen to me, know the voice of God for yourself. We should know our Father's voice by our spiritual covering. Fathers help us discern Father's voice. You need proper covering because, remember, David says, cover my head in the day of battle. We need covering in the day of battle. It's vitally important that you stay close, listen to me, that you stay close to apostolic covering. Because there will be times, understand something, a father will cover you like Jacob did with Joseph. But be careful, brothers will bury you. Are we still communicating? Number six, commitment. Who's committed to the cause? It's called taking stewardship. You understand from, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about stewardship. The whole Bible is about management. We use the word stewardship, but it's really management. And so how you manage determines the growth of your business. How you manage things will determine if there'll be increase in your business. God will not give you what you can pray for, but what you can manage. You need to write that down. God will not give you what you can pray for. He will only give you what you can manage. Can I say it again? I was going to say it anyhow. God will not give you what you will pray for. God, I want this. I want to expand it. Listen to me. If you're not ready to manage it, he can't give it to you. <clears throat> He'll only give you what you can handle. What you can handle. Hallelujah. It's what you manage well, you grow. What you mismanage, you lose. Remember the parable of the talents? You understand almost every parable that Jesus talked about, all of it has trading principles. They're business principles. Do you know the Bible talks more, two-thirds of the parables are about money. God has a whole lot to say about money because understand, how you handle money is how God handles you. Uh-oh. How you handle money is how God handles you. Judas mishandled as treasurer Jesus, mishandled the money. Therefore, he forfeited the next move of God in his life. He missed the apostolic movement. Are we still communicating? Saul mishandled what God told him to do. I want you to sacrifice everything, all the Amalekites, kill the king, bring the money to my treasure. But Saul kept some of the money and he kept the king for himself. Therefore, he lost the kingdom. And it transitioned to another, to David. So what, listen to me, uh, what you don't handle, you will lose. How you handle money is how God handles you. I've seen so many people have a successful year. So all of a sudden they go out and they buy a brand new Beamer and a brand new home. All of a sudden they begin to misuse and mismanage the money that God gave them. How you handle money is how God handles you. That's very important you understand that. But we see here in the parable, the talents, that God, listen to me, there are three men here. We have the man with the one, the two, and the five talents. You know the story. The man with the five and the two, what'd they do? They increase what they had. And what happened? They got more. The man who hoarded the one, what happened? He lost it. So therefore, what you don't increase in your business, you will lose. 
It is not good. Listen, maintenance is the most dangerous thing you can do in a business. I've watched people reach a certain level of success in their business, and there's a nice stream of income, and they become satisfied where they are, and they start maintaining what they have. I have seen almost every time they end up losing what they have. It is the principle of increase. God wants you to increase what you have. So if you take what you have and you increase it, God will give you more. We had two flower shops recently that become very content where they were. They both went out of business. Guess who got their business? Because as long as you're increasing, the man who had the one talent, it was given to those. Oh, I think you get it, don't you? So understand there are businesses out there that, <clears throat> that are, 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 at this time, are custodians of your customers. And when they go out of business, if you are increasing what you have, they will come to you. There will be a migration of those customers that will come to you. <clears throat> are we still communicating? <clears throat> Understand, God blesses the increase and not the lack. God blesses the increase and not the lack. If God blesses the lack, there would be no poor people in the world. It is a principle in God. Now, we would like God to just bless all the poor people. It doesn't work that way. You know, <clears throat> we had, a, had a, a merger in our church back in 2004, <clears throat> and we had a predominantly African-American church that came in. Three-quarters of them were on welfare. They weren't working. They were living in, in uh, state housing, very poor individuals. And so when they come in, they all had their hands out. Well, I was going to give them a hand up. So I began to teach them these principles. And within four years' time, we have, after four years, not one of them were on welfare. Today, some of them have their own businesses. They are, they are model citizens in our community. Thank you very much. Thank you. They are model citizens in our community. Um, they, are, they are prosperous. They're some of the greatest givers in my church. All because they took these principles and they learned the principle of increase. God never blesses the lack. He blesses the increase. Every year we do an analysis of our businesses. How are we going to increase our business this year? What happened, the flower shop that we have is over 160 years old. I look good for 180, huh? <clears throat> and <clears throat> it is, <clears throat> excuse me, out of 30,000 flower shops in America, we're in the top 100. <clears throat> and uh, we've only had the one location. We, we never, God never told us to expand, so we were comfortable where we are. It has always grown over the years. We finally have hit a peak in the last two years. We've got a few businesses closed up. Like I told you, we've got that business. We reached a peak. So I told my brother, I says, it's time to expand. Because if we don't increase this, we're going to lose what we had. So this year, we are, this coming October, we're launching Butts Flowers 2. Because we realize that it's time for growth. God will not bless the lack he will bless the increase. Are we still communicating? Once again, maintenance is dangerous. It is risky business. Number seven, the culture. What characteristics make you stand out? What is it about your business or the business that you want to launch? You have to define it, remember? As you define it, you have to make sure that you nature it properly with the proper culture. Is it honor? It should be. How you treat your employees, your customer service. Macy's department stores just recently closed up several hundred across America. 
What was the reason for Macy's, Macy's closing their stores? They made a decision five years ago they would cut back on customer service. There's the answer. As a result of it, 200 stores have closed up across America. Because what they've done is they've lost what I call the culture of what Macy's at one time did. They serve their people. <clears throat> so understand, make sure that you never lower your culture, your standards. Excellence, is it excellence? Is that part of the culture? Then go the extra mile. You know, always under promise over deliver. Don't, don't promise things that you may not be able to fulfill. What we always do when we're selling a wedding, <clears throat> we make sure that we under promise but over deliver. We put some extra things in there, extra bouquets. I didn't order this. Do I have to pay for it? Oh, no, that's our gift to you. Please understand that. It is a biblical principle because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. He always under promises and over delivers. Has God ever given you a promise and when he did, it's like, wow, this is better than what I expected. He under promises, over delivers. Do that for your customers and you will win your customers. See, one of the things that's part of the culture that really sets you apart where you're sowing seeds. We sell flowers, but Mark Kaufman gives them away. Every woman who comes in my store, when, when I am there, they get a free flower. And someone told me one time, you can't do that, Mark. You're supposed to be selling flowers. This is not a good business practice. I said, but you don't understand. I've been in business 42 years. There are little girls 40 years ago that I gave a little rose. I, I've had their weddings. <laughs> I did their graduations. I did their prom flowers. Anytime they need flowers, they come back. And now they're coming in with their children saying, Mr. Kaufman used to give me a rose like this too. Now I'm getting the next generation. Come on, somebody. So when you honor your customers, you're sowing a seed that will perpetuate historically and keep you in business. So I'm securing my future customers by sowing a rose that only cost me 85 cents. The wedding that we just got this past weekend was a large wedding. $6,000 in flowers is quite a bit of money in our area. They spent $6,000 in the flowers. What just happens that the girl that got married, I gave her a rose when she was a little girl. So for $0.85, cents, I think it was worth the investment for the $6,000 wedding. Are we still communicating? So it's important you understand what is your culture. Celebrate your customers. Oh, I have a principle that I use, and my employees still sometimes get frustrated with this. The customer's always right, even when they're wrong. Don't argue with your customer. You understand, people like to talk. And they will tell their brothers and their sisters, their mothers, their fathers, and their friends, if you don't make it right. Because I've found out that if you make one customer mad, you may lose 100 customers. Because people talk. So even though you've got to bite your lip once in a while and make it right, Take the blame for it. Please do that. These are just practical things. I'll be communicating. Amen. So it's very important you understand that, oh, yeah, you, what are your constants and variables? Every business needs constants and variables. Like in the kingdom of God, is the, is the blood of Jesus Christ a constant or variable? It's a constant. How about Mary? The Catholics made her a constant, but she was a variable. She was chosen among women. She wasn't the only choice, so they made her constant. She's a variable, right? So you have to know what are your constants and variables, our, our honor in our store, the way we treat our customers, the way I treat my employees, those are constants. But the way I, I'm, I might 
I may have to change my branding. That becomes a variable. Know what your constants are. Write them down. Make them part of your vision statement. Please do that. It's vitally important. Uh, <clears throat> one of our constants that we've used as a slogan for years is our flowers last longer with our seven-step process. And they do. And even, here's the funny thing. Even if maybe they didn't, people start believing it. And so people, you know, they'll see me, hey, I got the most beautiful bouquet. And you know what? Your flowers do last longer. So it becomes a catchy phrase that even if they maybe die sooner than they should, they believe they did last longer. So it's important, it's important that you create constants that you will carry throughout the history of your business. And number eight, the crowning. Finally, the crowning. What is the crowning? It's the reward system. What is the crowning for your employees? Reward great achievements. How many know that there's a reward system in the kingdom? To him that overcomes, I will grant him, right? All, to him, all, of, all of the promises of the overcomer have a reward attached to it. What are your rewards? <clears throat> I have one of my head designers has been with me now since 2010. She's phenomenal. And uh, she drives an hour to get to work. I make sure I give her extra money for gas. We have a bonus system. We have benefits. We have quite a few rewards that we give our employees. She recently was asked to go and work at a shop that was five minutes away from her home with the same pay. She turned it down because she says, uh, I, you know, I know I can make the same per hour here, but I know you won't give me the rewards and benefits that Mark Kaufman gives me. When you have a reward system, you're creating the loyalty factor. Your, your employees will be loyal to you. <clears throat> if you're committed to their success, hello, they'll be committed to your success. <clears throat> Are you still with me? Okay, a couple more bullet points here. Kingdom business principles. Understand who's at the helm of the ship determines the vision, the direction, and the destiny. When God chooses you, he gives you the vision for the business, Yes, you do need people speaking in your life. Yes, you probably do need uh, to have <clears throat> um, a board that can come in, uh, of advisors that can help you. Yes, you need covering, but understand something. As far as God's concerned, one man or one woman makes its existence powerful. Therefore, everything rises and falls on you, the leader. Remember that all destiny is designed all destiny is designed. It has to be planned out. I can't overemphasize you planning. Don't become comfortable. Don't become comfortable with the level of, of, of success that you've had. Remember, God blesses the increase, not the lack. Ultimately, as you build your business, you must then begin to broaden your horizon and your vision for how you influence your city. Because the ultimate purpose for business is not only to grow financially, that you can bless the kingdom and advance the kingdom in your region, but that you personally, your business can be an influence. People know they can come to Butts Flowers and get prayer. They'll walk in our stores, and we have a prayer room. It's our wedding room and prayer room. <laughs> and we pray for people. They'll come up with prayer requests. Not only from that, I have a very close relationship with our state representatives. That at the mayor is one of my best friends. Our supervisors in town, city council, um, our senator. I have a good relationship with these individuals. 
Now, they don't come to me because I'm Pastor Mark Kaufman. They come to me because I am the owner of Butts Flowers and that I can support them. <laughs> and they need my support. My mayor will frequent my store. He'll call me on the phone. I have their cell phone numbers. If I need something, I have the ability to influence them. Now, I was asked two times to run for mayor, and the Republicans in our town says, you'll be a shoe in we'll get you in. I don't want to run for mayor. I just want to influence the mayor. And I have that voice into his life. When he has a problem, many times he will call me. In fact, when I go home, I have an appointment with him 1030 on Monday morning to sit down with my mayor. We're bringing some new businesses into town. He has some questions concerning some changes he wants to make. That's the influence that you have. That's the power you have as a businessman and woman that, that, that God will understand something. In the spirit realm, the anointing rules the heaven. But in this realm of the earth, wealth rules it. And so the person who has the wealth and the anointing runs the planet. And we have to capture both. We need the anointing because the anointing gives you the edge in the marketplace. What sets you apart from everyone else? The anointing. It makes you different. Are we still communicating? Hallelujah. The distinction between secular and kingdom is the purpose, not the product. The distinction between a secular business and a kingdom business, listen to me, is the purpose that you're there. Why are you there? Please define that. And not the product. The product needs to be good. It needs to be cutting edge. It needs to be the best. But please, why are you there? Understand something? I encourage you to create an extra local kingdom advisory board. Get four, six, eight, twelve. Those that you can trust once a year or twice a year to sit down and make sure you bless them and take care of them and take them out for dinner after they spend four hours with you. Has anyone ever done a SWOT, S-W-O-T? Oh, it's powerful. Thank you for the board. Can I have a... I do... I'm on about 12 boards, and most of them are larger corporations. I go in every year and I do a SWOT. It's changed. We recently, one of the businesses in Buffalo, we went and we spent the whole day there. We did a SWOT. By the time we were done, I saved them $1 million dollars that year. One million dollars. SWAT. Strengths. You like my writing? Weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. <laughs> what are the strengths? And you have to be honest. I would encourage you to do this this weekend. Go home and what are the strengths of my business? What makes it strong? And what are the weaknesses? Okay? Write them down. Be honest with yourself. Okay? Don't lie on the test. <laughs> what are our opportunities? What are the, the, the current and future opportunities we have with our business? And what are our present threats? And then make a decision in the next 12 months that you're going to move all those weaknesses and they're going to become strengths. And all the threats will become opportunities. Let that, let, that, let that be the helm of the ship that directs what you plan on doing and the strategies for the next 12 months. Believe me, it works. We have changed businesses by using SWOT, S-W-O-T. And we'll come to a close here in just a minute. And understand something, when you have an extra local advisory board that comes in and speaks 
the counsel they bring can be accepted or rejected. That's up to you. You're at the helm of the ship, right? All right. Covenantal structure is vitally important for kingdom business. It determines, listen to me, it determines whether it's, it's kingdom or not. The covenantal structure, trust, honor, loyal, faithfulness. Listen to me, business expertise, education, and past accomplishments, accomplishments don't determine a kingdom business. So just because you have, you're educated in that area, because you're skilled in that area, because you have certain business acumen does not make it a kingdom business. Are, are the principles of trust, honor, integrity, loyalty, faithfulness. If those are the predicates, then that is a kingdom business. Please understand this. When you're selecting people and working with people and giving people raises and promotions, loyalty determines selection. Loyalty. Do, do not give someone a raise just because they're making, listen, just because that they're making more money for you. That is, come on, that's secular. You've got to do it from a kingdom perspective. Okay? I found out time and time again, if someone's not loyal to you, and if you give them a raise, you give them a promotion, many times it'll come to bite you on the back. Because, listen to me, they don't have the humility, the respect, and the honor to handle what you're about to give them. The loyalty factor is absolutely imperative if you're going to promote people. It's, it's, it's the same way in a church. Just because someone has the experience and the expertise and the commutative skills, that doesn't mean you make them an elder in your church. They better be loyal to you. Hire people out of honor, faithfulness, loyalty, and not gifting. Yeah, you know, you've got to have some gift to get in, but there better be some other ingredients along the way. Create long-term succession plans. Start early. Who's going to be your successor? Understand, success without successors is failure in disguise. Write that down. Success without successors is failure in disguise. I've seen churches that, you know, 2,000, 3,000 people, and then the pastor, he's going to pass the mantle, and he has no one to pass it to. And those churches have failed. I had to go into Detroit and help a pastor who had pastored a church for 45 years. A successful, large church, influential. He never had a succession plan. Had health issues, had to pass the mantle. He passed the mantle to a man who wasn't a spiritual son. There was no loyalty, no faithfulness, no commitment. He ruined the church and locked the apostle out of his church. Wouldn't let him back in. And a church that was thousands of people was just a few hundred now. Please understand, you never, yes, you need gifting. Yes, you need ability. Yes, there should be talent. But there's a whole lot more when you're building a kingdom business. Uh, businesses are called to subdue mammon. I like that. We're called to subdue mammon, okay? You know, I believe that we are the generation that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. There used to be nine flower shops in the 1980s and 90s in our city. There's two left. And guess where all that, all that business came to? Thank you, Jesus. There is a place in business in which you enter covenant with God where you, you come into a relationship that you can say, God, I'll do this if you do that. That's Bible. Got quiet just now. 
There's a place in business where you can come in God, where you have come into such a covenant relationship with Him that you can say, God, I'm going to do this if you'll do that. And we've done those things. And we've seen God bless them and honor them. Understand, in business, success is not the goal influences. Success is not the goal influences. What the world sees as, 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 as success, we see as influence. The more success that I get, the more recognition, people know that we do business with integrity. So they figure, well, the guy who owns it, he must have some integrity. So they come to me to solve problems in the community. It allows me. So they see it as, well, you're successful. I don't see that. Me, to me, this is a platform of influence. And so I'm a voice in my community that I, that I would not have without a successful business. It has given me a voice to speak into every sector of my society. The greatest power tools you have to grow your business are your customers. Invest in them, and they'll always get a return. Understand something. Your customers are your employer. Without them, you have no business. I mean, they are are writing your paycheck for you. So you have to treat them like they are your employer. So therefore, make sure you're investing in them, that you're honoring them. You know, we just throw parties for our customers. We do all kinds of crazy stuff just to celebrate our customers. I mean, we do things that very few people do in the community because we want to let them know, listen to me, that we still have, because there is, most of you know, customer service has become a thing of the past. We drive through window, we, you know, buy it online. There are still people that like to be served. (laughs) And so that's what we do. We are serving our community through our flower shop, through our studio and the other businesses that we operate. Develop an ownership mentality in your people. Give them a sense of ownership. My employees really think they own the company. (laughs) And they treat it as such. They're supposed to come to work at 8.30. They're there at 7.30. They're supposed to leave at 5, sometimes at 6, 7 o'clock. They don't want to go because they love working there. The environment we create is conducive to healthy, listen to me, healthy business. And it's become a family. Everyone is a family. Everyone's part of the family. There's times that they'll just eat their lunch standing up. They love doing it. And I'll tell them, you don't have to do this. this no, but we want to do it. Please understand that. That's vitally important. A couple more things. What does the face of your company look like? Your signature, your slogan. Is it consistent? Here's one of my favorite. What is the top of mind awareness? See, I want people, when they think flowers, they think butts flowers. Just boom, it's at the top of their mind. So everything we do, understand something. When you are rebranding yourself, be careful that you don't rebrand yourself in such a way that you lose, listen to me, the essence of who you really are. Amen. What you started in the embryonic stages, carry that along. We rebrand ourselves every eight years in our flower business. We just changed our colors. We're hot pink and black right now. We kind of changed the flower that we had that's, that's you know, part of our, 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 our branding. We are changing the color of our vans, okay? But there's certain things that we still have. Our flowers last longer. We carry that. Is, that is, that's congruent through every single change. We keep that. So when people think about butts flowers, boom, they call us. Top of the mind awareness is vitally important to your customer. You must make sure that's at the forefront. 
increase your people and you'll increase your business. Business just follows it. The most important, you, most important thing you can do is increase the people that work for you. How do you make them better people? We have devotions even with those that do not know the Lord. And they love it. They'll ask me questions. And sometimes I'll do it in a very covert way. Jesus talked in parables, right? Not one of the parables talk about God. Why? Because he was speaking to a different level, a different kind of people, so therefore he spoke on their level. Don't go in to your customers and go, <laughs> They're just not going to relate to you. Don't, don't speak that way to your employees. You've got to know how to, how to move covertly in stealth when you're in business. Okay? Are we communicating? Don't scare people. Okay? Be professional when you're in the marketplace. All right? There's a place and time for that. Uh, make sure you give them affirmation, appreciation, and attention, all your customers. Move in excellence. The last thing, wealth builders always succeed in the right network. Make sure you have your right network. David had his 400. Gideon had his 300. Jesus had his 12, then 70, then 120. Make sure that you build with the right network. Because if you build the right team, you'll fulfill the dream. Make sure you have the right people. Last thing is, build. make sure that you build out of strengths and not weaknesses. Do what you do best. Find people who can do what you can't do very well. It's time, it's time that we begin to, as, as entrepreneurs, the Bible tells us that we have power to create wealth. Please define your powers. Nowhere does it say God gives you wealth. God does not give anybody money. He gives you the power to create wealth. Define the powers. Some of the powers are your abilities, your strengths, your gifts, your relationships. That's the power of the anointings in your life. Vision, wisdom, innovation, partnerships. Wealth can be lost. Power keeps coming. As long as you have the power to create wealth, you can lose all your money and get it back. So no matter what season you're going through, even when you're going through a lean season, a lean season, you always have something to create something. It's called the power to get wealth. God bless you. Thank you. I'm going to repeat about everything that uh, Apostle said. Just because I think we're so much aligned with the essential pieces of what it's going to take to build uh, what I think is uh, world-class businesses that God is trying to get the kingdom of God to step into. Um, let me just make a couple of, uh, just so that I'm not, I'm going to try not to keep you long. I know we were here till whenever last time we were here, but um, I'm just going to try and light on a number of things that were already told to us and uh, uh, the keys about what I'm going to share so that I don't just repeat everything because I had certainly not uh, <laughs> as awesomely said as what Apostle just did, but I have so much to say that's going to line up exactly with what he has said. Number one, Pastor Tina talked about the economic mountain. Uh, it's very interesting that it doesn't say the money mountain. Okay, the important thing about what this apostolic thing God is trying to do right now, he's not trying to make you rich. You become rich if that's what your objective is, 
but there's a big difference between somebody being rich and somebody creating economics. Right, right, right. Economics is about other people. It's about creating environments where other people can use their productive energy and do something productive with it. That's the key. This is what I see mostly if we took a, if we took a, um, a, a, a research about the way Christians run businesses, typically the way Christians run businesses is they have small pickup truck and a, and a shovel kind of businesses that just employ them. They're just really looking to be able to make enough money so that they don't have to have a job. <laughs> That's not, even though there's a small degree to which that is an economic engine, it's only to a very small degree. What God needs us to be able to do is he needs us to get out of all of this small thinking that just makes us plan about businesses and understand about businesses in such a small way. You know, you go and talk to somebody about a small business, if you talk to a business person, and they're referring, they're talking about a small business, they're referring to a business that employs between 50 and 100 people. Businesses that don't employ 50 people aren't really considered businesses in a business world. And so most Christian businesses have zero to 10, have mostly one, the person themselves. And, but the mechanism, if you understand the principles and the mechanisms of how businesses operate, then inside of your being, what you're able to do is you're able to expand the way you think about the very specific thing that you do, the thing that you are gifted at doing. What you do or what you're gifted at doing can just as easily employ one person as it can employ a thousand people. Because if it's a good idea, there's, you know, ever gone to an airport? There's millions of people on this planet. The biggest problem that North America has right now is that we aren't building, uh, taking the skills and talents of people and expanding them around the world. Because the economic engine that God is talking about is an engine that just doesn't affect uh, your life. It doesn't affect your family, not just your city, not just your region, not just your state or province, not just your country. But the reason that there's poverty in the world right now is because this economic engine isn't working very well. We have small businesses, like millions of one or two people businesses. We have probably hundreds of thousands of the middle-sized businesses, and we have, you know, a hundred of these mega-giant businesses. And that needs to be, that needs to spin around. Yeah. What needs to happen in the earth right now is that the people who can dream, who can believe, who can see these images of things on the inside, those businesses have to spread all around the world. Empowering people in the nations, in first world, second world, third world, all around the, play, all around the world, people getting this understanding of how an economic engine actually works. So when God is talking about uh, this economic mountain, he's not really saying, you know, if, she's, if you buy into the fact that he's, I think it was even yourself who said it to me, the ec that I'm apostolically over the economic mountain, or that's what, where the position God is assigning me to. That doesn't mean that I'm going to get rich. Right. Right. And I'm not saying, I'm not against, obviously, you know, 
You know, there's, I read a quote the other day. There's two ways that you get rich. One way is that you get everything you want in life. The other way is that you be satisfied with the things that you have. There you go. Right? I've learned in life that you can't get everything you want. As soon as you get everything you want, you wake up the next day and you want more things. Right. What, you, what I've learned in life is that you just but be awesome the way you are right now. Be satisfied the way you are right now. Don't be so consumed about, and we've talked about this in church, be so consumed about what do I need right now. Let the creature run your life for you. Right. Instead, contentment is... Uh, it's, it makes you feel like a billionaire every day that you wake up. You're, it's not even part of your, your thought processes. Yeah. What you have to do is we have to channel uh, this understanding of how to do the amazing things that God has anointed you to do. If you have a call of business on your life, God is never looking at one dandelion. He's always looking at a whole planet full of dandelions because he knows what the seed on the top of that dandelion has the power to do. He's doing exactly the same thing with your life. And so get out of the understanding, first of all, about what money is. Now, last time, just if some of you were not here, remember last time we talked about making money. Now, most people think making money means getting rich. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how do you make money, like print it. Most people think, and this is just summarizing from last time, but I'm going to pick up with my talk today on what do we do with what we learned last time. Where does money come from? Most people think that money comes from the government, that the government has the power to print money, and they don't. Your money that you have in your pocket right now did not come from the government. It's not where it all originates. In the beginning of days, that's where it came from. It didn't really even come from there, but they seized it for a season, and they don't even do that anymore. Now, the way that you get money, where does money physically come from? It comes from the banks. The banks they don't really print money anymore. They create money. When you go in, as we talked last time, when you have a business plan and you take that good business idea, before you walked in the front doors of that bank, the money that you needed doesn't exist. It's not sitting in a bank account somewhere. There's not a big vault in the, in the underneath of that, that bank where they're going to go downstairs with a duffel bag and fill it up with money and bring it up for you. Now, we laugh about that, but that's what most people think happens. And so what we feel like we're doing, if I'm going to the bank and, and Apostle Mark is going to the bank, we're competing against each other for a shortage of money. That's not true. It's not the way. Matter of fact, there, we are right now, this is, forget it. There is so much more right now with what the government has done, especially the United States of America, but every government around the world has had to do it because, you know, God bless the United States of America. And so there is so much excess. Uh, do you remember what I said last time that what the government does is the government sells bonds. I know this is complicated, but and I'm going somewhere with this. They create bonds which they sell as investment to you if you want to buy a government bond. That's what the government does. So they create the first little seed of money. Then you give them your $1,000 in order to buy their bond. Mm -hmm. What does the government do with that $1,000? Do you know? Right? They take this. This is the Federal Reserve right now. They take that $1,000 and they give, it, they give it to the banks. They lend it to the banks. So there's like a whatever percent, now it's zero, but let's say it's, we're in the real world 
and let's say that that would be a 3% that they would lend there. Then the bank, you would come in the door to the bank and you would leave with money. And most people think the money that you're leaving with is this $1,000. But that's not how it happens. What happens with this is the bank get the, gets the ability to multiply that $1,000 times a maximum of 32. And right now, <laughs> we don't even have a maximum anymore. They can do it as high as they want. This is called fiat currency. It's not currency that's based on any gold standard or money in the bank or, you know, all, it doesn't go like that anymore. I know this is going to blow, it blows your mind to even think about the way this works. But the impo- what we, where we're going is an essential piece of understanding for a business person. So they take this, now they have $32,000 to lend just because somebody gave them $1,000. Now when you come in and you want the money, what they're going to do is on their computer, they're just going to manufacture $31,000 with a, a keystroke. I'm gonna need to let that settle for a moment. Because people don't understand this is where money comes from. It didn't exist a minute ago. When you sign that promise to repay, that, that what they call a note, a loan, when you sign that loan, the money appears. Let that settle. Because you think I'm telling you some you know, fairy tale story here. The way, how, so then how do you, why don't you get it? Why do you go to a bank and they say no to you if they have all of this money? Or (laughs) doesn't have, doesn't exist. So the key to it, the key to the process, as the apostle said now, when he was up here, is your business plan. Ever had somebody come to you and say, you know, can I borrow $1,000? What's your first question? If you can't say what it's it for, what is the possibility that they're going to give it to them? Unless it's a dollar fifty, and I get it, it's for coffee. Go borrow a million dollars. What's it for? I, I don't know. I just wanted to have it in my account. <laughs> There's no possible way you're going to get that. And so what we, what we have to understand about business, and it's going to be shocking to you if you ever take our advice and do one you're going to be shocked, one, at what you don't understand about your business. How many potholes there are, how many gaps, how many missing pieces there are to the plan that you think is bulletproof. If you're going to get someone to lend you money, you need a business plan that's bulletproof. Somebody who knows what they're doing needs to be able to read your business plan and buy into it. If they can't buy into it, then they're not going to lend you the money. You're a salesperson. You've got to sell your idea. This is what I tell people. I says, at least go try to borrow money. You may get a no, good. That'll teach you that you don't have your ducks in a row yet. Do you know that I know people that invested in gold mines in Africa? Can I tell you the worst possible thing you could ever do with your money is invest in a gold mine in Africa? Can I tell you something else? Everybody knows that. Everybody has done it, and everybody lost money. (laughs) They got ripped off every single time. 
Can I tell you, there's somebody doing it right now. There's somebody buying it. You know why they buy it? Because they're good salesmen. Because you got your shtick. You got your business plan, and you got your pictures, and you got your cool story, and you got your, you know, whatever. And the guys, God, they can't resist it. They, bam, they write the thousand. And I've, they've talked to me, and they're all getting excited. It's like, oh, I'm gonna, I can't wait. My big payoff is coming. I never hear of it again. The business plan is the key on a whole bunch of different levels. In Habakkuk, uh, in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, write that down. It says, the just shall live by faith. We have to deal with this issue. This, this business plan is the vision. Because it doesn't exist. It's the vision for what it is that you want to do. In order for you to have a vision, right? The Bible, let me give you, I'll give you the quote because I think, I believe the Lord gave this to me that, sorry, close up pair I need. Uh, where is it? Oh, okay, the vision. I'll write it up here. It's a bit long, but I can't go wrong now that Apostle Mark made such a mess of this whiteboard. I feel completely <laughs> set free. Hope, which... <laughs> Which, oh, I'm already done. Go ahead, Alex. Thank you. like the ultimate thing you don't do when you're a public speaker. <laughs> you have all this dead space. Okay, so let's try and get rid of all of the religious talk when it comes to these things. I, you know what, can I tell you something? I think this is what Jesus was mostly talking about when he was here how to do supernatural things in the earth, including building economic machinery. And so when you take a look at what a vision is, vision is an expectation or hope, which is based on a belief system or faith and is about serving some need perceived in the lives of others, which is love. When you mix those things together, and you put all of that package, what you're doing, this, this, this set of 10 or 12 pages that you're going to write, when you write that down, you are doing what is being instructed in the book of Habakkuk. That when you write things down, you are able to define them, you're able to categorize them, you're able to be thorough, you're able to think in small bites, you're able to do all of these things as you're writing down and putting together this business plan. And then it says so that other people can run with the things of your vision. 
So then investors can come, employees can come, suppliers can come, ideas can come, creations can come, inventions can come. All of these things are able to come as a, as a, uh, as a product of the faith or the vision, which is faith, hope, and love manifested in a document that is going to give life and strength to what is right now just an idea in your mind. When you do that, when you take the time to put the business plan together, you are going to find that it forms a complete picture on the inside of you. Most times when I talk to people come to me with a business idea, what they come to me with is a charcoal sketch. I'm talking about you doing something that is a 3D what do you call those things, the goggles that they, the, the, what is it? Virtual reality. I need you to be able to move inside your vision. I need you to tell me, open the drawer of the desk and tell me what you see in the drawer of the desk. I need you to walk through into your production facility and tell me what's right in front of you. Do you have to take a step down or a step up? Who are you about to talk to? like you have virtual reality glasses on and you're moving through all the dimensions of your business. What does the ad look like? What does the, all of these things have to take on, not conceptualness. It's like, you know, what are you believing for? Nothing in particular. What do you get? Nothing in particular. These are things very specifically applied to what you are doing with a business plan. People, I, I'm almost every business, and I, I can't say that I've ever met one person. I probably have had hundreds of people come to me and want to talk to me about their business idea. I have, I, not that I can ever remember, and I'm sure I would remember because it would be remarkable to me, <laughs> that they show up with a duotang, with all the business plan laid out so that here, Pastor Ian, I need you to read this and let me know what you think. That's never happened. It's also never happened that I've watched somebody create a thousand people business. I wonder if that's connected. If you don't have an end goal, if you don't have something that you are shooting towards, I can absolutely promise you there are so many potholes, even if you do a business plan, you have only done 10 or 15%. You've only dealt with 10 or 15% of the problems. But the business plan is what is going to empower you through the growth and the, and the process of learning that is going to make your business excellent. Right. Without a business plan, I can absolutely, well, I can't absolutely promise you, unless you are a, a superstar when it comes to business, as most people are not, you're going to end up living in one of your potholes. Your pickup truck and a shovel is what you end up settling for in the bottom of one of the potholes that you fall into. Instead of being able to properly negotiate because you just will not let go of what you see down the road and uh, keep on going no matter what pothole you end up in, you climb out of it and you go, you climb out of it and you go, you climb out of it and you go, you climb out of it and you go because you can see what is needing to be done. Right? Many people, when they talk to me, it's about what's, what's victory all about? It's a victory is about transforming the face of Christianity yeah. on the globe. Now, it doesn't look like we're doing a lot of that right now, except maybe through a few cameras, but that's where we're going. 
And so when it comes to how, what do I need to do, why do I do all the things here that I do in ministry, is because I'm not trying to build a church in Fort Erie. That's part of the process. That's like step, zero, step half, right? Then you go and you want to put 500 churches around the world. That's all part of what we're doing because we can see that it's the, where we're going is, is going to last 1,000 years. That's 10 times my lifetime. But as long as you keep that vision there, you, even though you have potholes, we have potholes every day, but we don't stay in any of the potholes which is what people do in business. What, I think what you were referring to with the plateau, right? You just come to this, this you know, uh, how did, what was the word that you referred to? Maintenance mode. Says, okay, honey, I just can't take any more of this. I, we just got to settle here. That's what that is. But when you have the business plan, when you're going for it, and it's part of your daily life, imagining where you're going, imagining where you're going, and holding on to that inner image of what you are trying to accomplish, when you do that, it's you, uh, not only are you naturally going to last longer because you're driven by a vision, what you haven't realized perhaps is that you are being driven by the spiritual forces of faith, hope, and love. That, the, that even just keeping on going, you are going to have intersections with the things that you need because your faith, hope, and love are producing them someplace in your future. And so as I keep going, I just get, you know, it's like, you know, luck, you know, luck blesses the persistent or something like that. I can't remember what the quote is. But people who just keep going, they seem to get luckier and luckier and luckier as they go. That's not, you know, <laughs> there's no such thing as luck. Those people, what's happening and that they're not recognizing is faith, hope, and love, even if they're not a Christian. Can I tell you that, that Steve Jobs built the, what is now the most successful company the world has ever seen? Steve Jobs was not a Christian. Stop thinking that Christianity has some lock on all the good news. The world has taken our preaching. Can I tell you something? No, listen to me. Do you know that the original people who dealt with, you know, positive thinking, those were all Christians. They were pastors. And then the church decided to go back to sleep and the world goes, that's a really good idea and it seems to be working for me. I wonder if I can build this. I wonder if I can build this. I wonder if I can. They just kept going. And now they're the ones who have your idea, Jesus's plan, faith, open love, Serve your customers. Who, did you hear that first in church? No, you heard that first at McDonald's. Because they ta have taken these concepts, and, then, and we are so proud that we're sitting in church with our pickup truck and a shovel, and we think we're doing something, and they're out there using our principles right. to transform the world. Before Jesus showed up, the, it was bar barbaric, a barbaric world. Dog eat dog, shark eat shark. Shark, as evidently they say. <laughs> Jesus transformed the world. Yes, he did. But now the church is sitting around wondering, oh, how come God's not blessing me? He is blessing you. He showed you how to use faith, hope, and love. Right. Write a business plan. Yes, sir. Write it down. As you begin to do it, you're going to be empowered to communicate it better. Okay, let me stay on my notes. Okay, uh... No, on that one. No, on that one. Uh, 
Okay, so hope written down. That's what a business plan is. It is your expectation of what you are believing to have happen. That is what the Bible calls hope. When you write a business plan down, you are starting to give um, natural expression of a supernatural concept. Just like when the Bible says, say it, the Bible also says, write it down. Do you know that God wrote the Bible down? <coughs> Do you know why he did that? Because he didn't want there to be any confusion so that them that find it can run with it. So God himself uses this principle. The clearer your picture of what you're going to do, the better. You shouldn't have a conceptual picture on the inside of you. What would you like to do? Oh, I'd like to do something in the serving other people world. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> it needs to be specific. And the more specific it is, the more clear it is in your mind, which believe me, you think it's clearer than it actually is. What a business plan will do for you is it will be challenging your clarity, right? Most people think they understand faith, hope, and love. You understand faith, hope, and love? I get the kind of, okay, come on Sunday and teach a message on it. <laughs> right, right, Pastor Alex, right, Apostle? When you have to teach a message on it, all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're looking at, wow, I don't think I understand this as well as I thought I understood it. <laughs> Because I'm trying to connect all these points and I don't know how they connect. That's why the teacher gets, it's the most blessed person is the person teaching. Because they've had to work for 12 hours putting the teaching together. You spend 45 minutes, half of it sleeping. And, <laughs> and so you, what, what, what you realize, you have to become the teacher. In the process of developing the teaching, pitching the sale. Go, just go call your bank manager on Monday and say, I want to meet you 10 days because I got a business idea for you and just make it up. See if you can go and convince your bank manager to lend you, don't take the money unless you're really going to do it, but see if you can convince somebody to lend you money. Go find somebody that, you, that has a lot of money. You ever tried to do this? Go to your rich uncle. Can I do, for most of you, he'll laugh at you. He won't lend you a dime. Because you don't know what you're doing. And what you have to do is you have to get so skillful at defining this that you have to get somebody else excited about investing or getting involved, taking their time or their money or their talent and investing it in what you're doing. Yes, in order to do that, you've got to become skillful at doing it. You got to become so excited and so convinced. Remember when you tell me when I when you hear me say I'm going to change the face of Christianity, you guys go yeah. Not like oh what an idiot. <laughs> Seriously, do you know why? I've been thinking that thought. The Lord said that to me when I was 12. Two things the Lord said to me when I was 12. One that I was going to change the face of Christianity, and two that I was an apostle. I used to I thought I was going crazy because all the apostles lived like thousands of years ago. I didn't know if you got the news. <laughs> I didn't know what he meant. But I've been rehearsing that and only recently even understood what the whole concept of apostle was. And, but maybe I don't even understand it today. But rehearsing this concept and understanding all of this journey because of what God is calling me to do. It's, not, it's nothing special. Oh, I wish I was Pastor Reed. No, do that. Your vision is special too. You've got to be able to let this thing churn on the inside of you so much that you can convince other people that what you are doing is phenomenal 
And it is going to be the best thing for them to do. When you do that, you're going to start attracting people, attracting money, attracting ideas, attracting concepts, attracting suppliers, attracting favor. You know, what do you, how many businesses you really, nowadays, favor is the most important thing you need. Because you've got a whole bunch of hurdles, right, between a good idea and concrete in the ground. Because you need favor. You need somebody that's going to sign off on a whole bunch of documents in order for them to let you do what you want to do. But as you have that in your excitement in that business plan, driving you forward in the definition of what that actually means, the more real it is to you, now this is important, the more real it is to you, the better. Experience is the key to really seeing this. The Bible says this, serve that which is another man's and then you will have that which is your own. What's serving another man's whatever is empowering you to do is see it in detail every single day. I tell people, you don't have a job, go work for somebody. Oh, they don't want to pay me. I didn't say they were going to pay you. I said, go work for them. Because when you work for them, you will start to see things that you couldn't have seen before. You'll learn things, you'll know things, you'll understand things that you would never have understood before. We have a concept here, we call it the deke. I'm not going to tell you why we call it that. But it's even a church, you come here and you learn how to do video work or you learn how to be a public speaker or you learn how to do uh, coffee or you learn how to do children's ministry or you learn how to uh, you know, vacuum. In all of those things, you start to, to get some, and then all of a sudden you can leave here and go be a video director. You can go make movies, you can go build buildings, you can go put roofs on, you can, you can do all of these kind of things because now you can see it, you've done it, you've experienced it, you can draw that out. You don't know how many churches I've gone by lately that have bad roofs? Do you know how expensive it is to put a roof on a church? They're like this. We know how to do that now. Many of you do. And you can make a fortune. You know, one guy said for our roof, he said he did a roof like exactly like ours, but not, not metal. He did it with uh, uh, um, the wood stuff. What do you call those? Cedar. It was about the same size as ours. He charged the church, it was in Toronto, charged the church $880,000 to do the roof. <laughs> it, it costed, I don't know what we, I don't know, I haven't seen the final accounting of it, but we're somewhere around $100,000 in materials to do that roof. That means the guy made $700,000 in profit. Where do I sign up? Where do I sign up? You see, what you can learn by just coming and people saying, oh, volunteering, I'm giving all my time away. Nah, uh, 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 uh. If you think that's what it is, you probably slept through it. So now you don't realize that you can go make $700,000 putting a roof on. But you can do all that. Why? Because you are apprenticing, because you are learning, because you're inside of an environment. Here, if you're on a leadership team, you're managing people, you're learning how to build teams, you're learning how to motivate people, you're learning how to get a plan, you're learning how to get things done, you're learning how to be a, a, a wedding planner, you can be a, a personal assistant, you could be an administrator, you could run a church yourself, many of you, because you've seen it done. That's the power of apprenticeship when it allows your brain to learn about what are all the moving parts. 
when you understand all the moving parts and you start to define them, your faith, hope, and love is actually right over there putting it all together for you. So when you go to the bank, the bank manager isn't approving you. He's responding to the faith, hope, and love that you are, ex you are releasing out of your life, and it's convincing him that you are a good risk, that you're going to repay your loan because you really know what you're doing. You look like you got your act together. You look like you can do this. And so he says, yep, and you sign, and he goes in the back and prints the money that he's about to put in your account. That's how this works. And it works like this over and over again. All around you, all the time, this is the way it works. It works the same way for Steve Jobs as it works for you. If you just zero in on putting all of these pieces of the puzzle together so that they're not just mystical religious terms. Oh, I have faith. Uh, people say blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith. Faith by its definition starts with something God has told you and you believing it other people think you're stepping off a cliff. You don't think you're stepping off a cliff. Inside of your whole being is an awareness that there's a step there. You have to come to that place in your business. And the very best way to do that is to start with a business plan. I'll just give you the, let me just give you this quote because I think it's a big problem in Christians. Uh, Warren Buffett said it, but he didn't say it first. It's better to have a smaller part of a bigger thing than to have a bigger part of a smaller thing. A lot of the things that we'll talk about even as we go forward with our little times together is understanding how to build big things, how to create environments that are uh, influential environments. I think what Apostle is saying and what I'm saying to you is that we don't really, we're not, I'm quite seriously, I'm not really interested even in economic things. I'm interested in influence things. And what he said to you, I think, you know, you take a look at all of the mountains, the apostolic mountains, entertainment and, and uh, education and medicine and all the rest of those things. I think the main one on top of that, as what, what Apostle said, is the economic one. Absolutely. The economic one runs all the other ones. In the end of the day, he who has the gold makes the rules. You, the, the gold is life. Wealth is life. It's productive life turned into money that you can go and turn back into productive life. That's what money is. It's just an exchange mechanism moving life from one level into another level. So when a person has the money, they have the ability to empower anything. Now, you have to be careful what you empower, right? You can go build a strip joint if you like, or you can go do something that's going to benefit the world. That's going to be in your decision between you and the Lord. But when you have the wealth, when you understand how wealth operates, how does money move around? Why do other people get it and you don't? Why do their ideas get funded? Why can they sell IPOs and make a billion dollars in a day? The, the fastest money ever by a human being. Do you know who did that? No, he was, was, he was a guy, uh, uh, Amazon. The guy from Amazon had an IPO and his stock that he sold went up in 20 minutes 
million dollars. By the, because uh, anyways, it's complicated a bit. When he, when he put his stock out there, the stock price went soaring up so fast that the stock that he had in his hand went up in value by a billion dollars in the first 20 minutes of his IPO. He made a billion dollars, that's now my high watermark. He made a billion dollars in 20 minutes. What are you worth? How much can you make? You see, there's, we start, oh my gosh, he must be a demigod. No, he's not a demigod. He just had a cool idea about selling, uh, you know, electronic items online. Wow, what a great idea, eh? Who would ever thought that would be possible? <laughs> that's, all, that's all Amazon is. <laughs> Brilliant, but we can talk about that another time. But see, what, what we don't realize is that God has given us this ability, but we're still encapsulating it into religious terms. Faith, hope, and love. Oh, it would just make me a good person, and I can walk around like a... No, that's not God's intention. God's intention is to create billion-dollar businesses that are influential in their communities, right? What you heard from Apostle. What we're do is we're looking to build businesses all over this community. He's already done that. Now when the mayor wants to make a decision, who does he call, right? He needs to check with, with, with Mark Hoffman to see what's going on. Is this going to be okay? Because he's got the influence. And what the influence is not created by, you know, driving a fast car or living in a nice house. There's lots of people that do that. The key to it is creating economic engines, in order for you to, to do that, to empower that, which is inside of you right now. Every single one of you have the power to do this. Yes. Simply because the mechanisms of them are quite easy to understand. If we get them out of a church capsule. Yeah. Remember, Jesus wasn't building a church. He was trying to change the world. He was trying to empower the world to live heaven on earth. And I can promise you heaven on earth is expensive. I can promise you that the economic mechanism is, is very much part of how do you get heaven on earth, no, without any question. So take your notebooks out. I'm going to talk to you for the last, whatever, 15 minutes that I have about what is a, a business plan. What's it made up of? How do you actually put one together? The key of all of this is you have it in your mind all the time. What you're going to try and do is create a document that easily communicates your vision to another person in order to convince them of the viability of your idea. So specifically, you would use a document like this to go and talk to your bank manager to see if you could, he will lend you money. You'll go to investors to see if they will buy stocks or buy shares in your company. You'll use this as a document for people who are, who are your senior management staff when you're trying to win them away from your competition, right? They, they, I know that they, you're, you're the president of the United States. They make fun of him because they say his IQ is not very high. He says, you don't have to have very high IQ to hire the right people. So he's not even, he doesn't even get bothered by the fact that he's not stellar. He just takes the principle and he's able to sell his idea because he's a consummate salesman. He's able to sell his idea to a bunch of smart people. Right. 
And the next thing you know, those smart people believe in his idea and believe that they're going to make a lot more money hooking up with Trump than they're going to be where they are right now. And the next thing you know, Donald has the best of the best of the best surrounding him, giving him advice, and he can do what he does. You don't, you don't need to be big. You don't need to be strong. You don't need to be smart. You don't need to be cute. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to be anything. You just have to believe in what you're doing. And as you believe in what you're doing, people will come because they start to believe simply because you have to be able to communicate. So as you are writing this document, you're not looking to write a spreadsheet. You're looking to write a document that convinces people about what you are doing. Not in a just, you know, empty-headed salesmanship kind of language. That's not going to work. You're trying to convince them. You're trying to work with their soul. You're trying to get them to really understand the magnitude of what you're trying to do. Even if all you're doing right now is borrowing money to get a pickup truck and a shovel. But you, they've told them, this is where we're going to go. I'm going to build the largest landscaping company in southern Ontario. And here's how I'm going to do it. And you lay out how that's going to happen. And they decide if they believe it'll work or not. And then you get a lot of good feedback, by the way, by showing it to Apostle Mark and by showing it to your bank manager and by showing it to other business people, your uncle and your next door neighbor's best friend's sister who do this and say, would you mind reading through this and tell me what you think? And you can be honest with me. You can use a lot of red ink. I don't know if that's like a, you understand what that means, right? Because you're really interested in knowing from a business person's perspective, right? Okay, so number one, how can I get, can I, Alex, can I get you? Oh, no, I'll do it. Number one is the executive summary. These are going to be some of the business terminologies that you use. The executive summary is a one page. It, it must not go past page one. If your executive summary goes past page one, you're rambling. Okay? The executive summary is like the commercial. It's going to tell people about the general idea of what your business is about. So if I get an executive summary from somebody and it starts off by saying, we got a really cool idea to build a gold mine in Africa, <laughs> hits file 13 before I even get to the second paragraph. I am not interested in investing in gold mine in Africa. But if you're talking to somebody and you're saying, you know what, I've got this great idea for online gift baskets in, uh, throughout the nation of Canada. Okay, well, Apostle Mark may be quite interested in investing in your business because he knows a lot about that business and he can tell whether you know what you're doing or not. And he's going to jump on or not based on your executive summary, at least is he interested even in the slightest way in what you do, right? If you're going to say, I'm going to set up a grow up for marijuana in Fort Erie, Pastor Ian, would you like to invest? No. That's what your executive summary is going to do. Well, Alec, you have to see Pastor Alex. He might be a little more willing. Okie dokie. Thank you, Lord, for my succession plan. <laughs> so the executive summary should kind of go through as a commercial the general idea of what you're going to do, where are you going to do it, how's it going to work, but in a very general way. If the people want the information, they're going to go inside to the actual business plan to look at the details. 
but the outside should just give them an idea of what you're doing. Number two is, a, is the description of the company. This is more talking about, is it a, is it a, a, a corporation? Is it a partnership? Is it a subsidiary? Is it what? Is it a not-for-profit? Is it a charity? How is it going to work? Who's going to be the... Who's going to be the, the, the key people or the key connections? Or how's the business structure, the legal structure of the business going to work? A lot of times, if you are thinking about sole proprietorships, you are thinking about going it alone. In order for you to really decide that you're going to build a bigger business, you need to have a corporation. Nobody is dumb enough to give you money with the liability that you're going to take, have somebody's going to sue you and take their, your house away from them. That's not going to, that's not, nobody's going to do that. So you, not to say you don't start by having a proprietorship, which means you and your business are the same person, you're the same entity, but you should have a very quick process by which you become a corporation for yourself as well. Your money and the business money should not be the same money. Okay, that's, I mean, everybody, you have to do this, I guess probably have to do it once, right? You have to overspend in your business and go broke at least one time. But I'll tell you, don't do that. If you have a separate, you get a paycheck from your corporation, your money, their money is different than your money, you, you are paid a certain amount every, every week, and no matter how much the business makes, you make the same amount of money. That's the, that's the mechanism for a corporation, and you need to get to that spot as quickly as you possibly can. Because living inside of this, all money is my money, you're just going to overspend. You're going to be very, 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 uh, 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 you're going to use money that's supposed to be seed and you're going to eat it, right. right? That concept of seed and harvest isn't talking about a church offering alone. It certainly is talking about a church offering, but it's talking about how to build a business, how to take the seed and separate bread for food and seed to sow. And if you need a new million dollar machine, you need to save up a million dollars where you can buy that machine so that you can outcompete the competitor. Right. And you need to have the money, is like what, what Apostle was saying, that now that you're getting up here, you got a little bit of cash in your pocket, now's not the time to become complacent. Now's the time to look at where's the opportunity to get it a little cheaper, a little bit better, a little more excellence than the guy that's doing this across the road. And then I can out, slowly but surely, I can outcompete him until I'm the only game in town. Right. This is what you have to do as you separate. So if you're going now, convincing somebody, this is a major convincing issue. If you're thinking sole proprietorship because then I get all the money, that's a, you can obviously, you wouldn't lend money to somebody who is doing that. Certainly, you're not looking for to lend you money, okay? Number three, let's take a look at the market analysis. This is an essential part of convincing somebody that what you are going to do is going to work. Business people, bankers, are not interested in your idea. There's a thousand good ideas that they've had meetings with already today. They need to be able to, and you need to be able to do this. You need to be able to understand the validity of what you are trying to do. And the only way you're really going to find validity in it is to have some kind of market analysis done. Market analysis is, are my customers actually going to buy what I am going to try to sell? 
are they actually, are there enough Christians in Fort Erie that even want to go to church? Not, you know, don't worry about converts. You get converts, but you can't make converts. That's going to be the hard work. And I'm not saying don't do that, but are there already people who are looking for what you do? And are they willing to spend the amount of money that you're going to ask them to spend? Are they willing to spend it? You have to, and there's research that you can do on that. Even if, you know, the, the research that you do is just by yourself. You take your product out there, you go knock on a bunch of doors, and you see whether you can do it or not. Will people actually buy from you? Will they exchange money for what your service or product is? At least some level of recognition that we're not this entire business plan on your thoughts that you're going to be successful because you've had a cool idea when you woke up one day. Marketing today, marketing is the key component of being able to do something uh, successfully. It's not whether you can produce, I mean, anybody can flowers. Anybody can produce widgets. Everybody can make chairs. Everybody can make shoes. Anybody can do that. The question is, will people buy them? And will they buy them at the price? Will they buy them based on all of the components that you're going to be putting together? We'll talk another time on what the marketing, the marketing pieces are, price, promotion, product, and place. So as you do that, defining all of those parts now you can say, okay, if I put my gas station, like, did you notice that the, 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 the Petro-Canada, is it Petro-Canada? The one by the, by the visitor center there? Yeah. yeah. It closed down. Like, well, it's right on the highway, right when you come to the bridge. Why, does, why would the gas station not be successful? Right? Because it's hard to get at to begin with. It's in the wrong place. You really can't see it. When you come around the corner, you can't see it. And so they're, now they, they might have just had to put a sign 50 feet over towards the <laughs> and then they, then they would be successful. Do you see all of these little components now make a difference when you're dealing with your marketing? But at least having some idea that your business plan doesn't float just because you're an exciting person to listen to. Your idea floats because you actually have identified a market of people who are interested in doing what you're doing. Most businesses don't have to create, this is how most people think. Most people think that I have to invent this whole new idea and an iPhone is the only way to do it. That's not how this works. Go find if you're in your area, your business is probably just going to go head to head and talk with other businesses that do what you do. And you do it better than them, faith, hope, and love. You care about it. You believe in yourself. You maintain a positive attitude. You care about your customers. You look after your money. You, you're, you're, you know, you're not just looking at running down to Florida with your 750i. You're, you're going to do the business properly. And you're going to outcompete everybody because everybody else does business to make money because they want to spend their money and live luxurious lifestyles so that their neighbors are impressed with them. That's why everybody does this. If you're set free of the need to do all of that stuff, can I tell you the world is your oyster? You can go any business. I tell this to my kids. No matter what business you would like, you want to go be a landscaper? We'll outcompete the landscapers in town. Do you know why? Because we live cheap. And we don't have to, we're not looking to yank all the money out and go ahead to, to uh, Fiji for a month's vacation. We want to build great things. And so we can outcompete anybody. We'll talk about that some other time. But it's 
what God has done in the inside of you, as he's transforming you into a person that's not towed around by money and success and, and significance and fear and all these type of things, he's made you like a business machine. Because you show up to work ready to go, ready to excellent, ready to you know, kiss some little kid on the, you can't do that anymore, you know, to give a rose to a little kid and you can, you can do all of that stuff, why? Because you honestly care. You're not stuck by your 85 cent rose. Oh, I got to hold it all to myself, Mr. Scrooge. I can be a generous person because I'm set free. Does that make sense? No matter where you go, you're going to succeed. You have the, you have the, you have the, the key ingredients. Okay. So marketing analysis. Now we're going to spend a whole Saturday on what this mark, what this means. Because you can't do it the way we used to do it in the olden days. Build it and they will come. No, they won't. You know, Henry Ford's uh, famous sayings, you know, I'll, you can have it in any color you want as long as it's black. <laughs> because nowadays, especially nowadays, the world has gone completely to a marketing model. I can literally get blue jeans from any company anywhere in the world at a click of a button. I'm going to buy the ones that suit me the best. And so because of that, you need to really understand, if you're going to go into the blue jean company and build a blue jean company, you need to know, why did Ian buy these? Why did uh, John buy these? Why did Nico buy these? Why, Amico, wait, tell me again. Micah. Micah. <laughs> I was close though, right? Give me some love on that. The, why did you do that? How did he trade his money for this particular uh, item and document, or uh, product, rather? And we'll understand about all of that stuff so that we can compete when it comes to the marketplace, okay? Number four, an organization and management. Most people don't worry about this kind of stuff because to them, it, they are everything. But when it comes to our world, our world, there's one specific reason why, our, now I'm not, remember, I'm a business person with say, obviously God is the beginning of all these things. But the number one reason why our society succeeds to the level that it succeeds is because of one singular business principle, and that is specialization. We can specialize on the things that we do. So your human resources manager is somebody really good at managing human assets. Your, your production, production guy is really good at engineering and figuring out all the things to do with production. Your finance person loves, can you imagine there's a person like this, loves to sit down with a pencil and a piece of paper and how to post your bills. They love to do that. And they love it so much that they do a great job with it. Sean, come on, I love you, man. Are you one of those people? Come on, you're, you're with me for life. You're with me for life. The reason that they're when you get somebody to do the job that they're specifically created to do, you excel extraordinarily in that area as opposed to what has to happen in most of the rest of the world that doesn't live like this. You have one guy, jack of all trades, master of none. He's trying to do all of these jobs, but all he ends up doing with his life business after about, would you say three and a half years, all he's doing now is fighting fires. 
because he didn't do anything well. He did everything to just get it done, and he's getting outcompeted. He's getting outperformed. He's just not doing, and so he's just, now life is all about fighting fires, simply because he's not good enough at everything that he does. And so the ability now to get your business to the vision. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. It'll take you years to get to this place. But if you have definition in your business plan about what are the key management positions, what are the things that you're going to have to have your eye to in order to uh, uh, nurture people that are within your organization up to the place where they can manage? It's really not a good idea to bring people in from the outside. That creates a huge vision problem. It creates a culture problem. If you can do it, you want to raise people up from the inside. So you're looking, knowing what you're looking for in organizational structure and management, you can identify that in different people that you now are, you know, they're just toddlers in diapers right now, but you're going to nurture that person up knowing, you have to tell them that because then you'll have a loyalty problem potentially, but you nurture that person up to the place where they can become a manager and look after things. Now they have your heart, they're part of your family, they have a loyalty, they have a commitment to you and to the vision. This is a perfect person. That's like when, when we started the ministry here, the fir- almost the first thing that we did was start a leadership team. It's like we were, you know, we had seven people in our church and six of them were on the leadership team. <laughs> now, it sucks to be the one, that person really worked. <laughs> That's probably Tim. (laughs) But the reason that we did that is because I see where we're going. Not that I see, it's prideful. It's not like I see where we're going, but I know that we're certainly not just going here. We've got so many other things to do. I need to raise up pastors, and I need to raise up all kinds of people at all kinds of different levels in order for the vision to have any structure underneath of it. That's right, you don't go build big things. You build big people. And with big people, you build big things. Because if you just build big things, it's like Apostle said, you got no undergirding. As soon as the wind blows, it's going to topple over. Instead, take your time, build it right. But if you don't have the vision of what you need, you're going to have people come in and out of your business, and they're going to hate you. You know who aggravates me the most is my accountant. (laughs) Yesterday, I could have bit his head off. And he's twice the size as me and used to be a kickboxer. But you know what? It's a good thing that he aggravates me. I can't, I'd fire the guy. Except he's right. I don't like to admit that. And I certainly wouldn't have admitted it in his face. And if he's watching, I'm taking it back. <laughs> These are good things that when they're in that environment, Alex comes to me, he disagrees with me. I say, you know, you can't do that. Because, and you normally would do it, except I recognize that his gifts and abilities are part of the future. And so instead of backhanding him and saying, you get out of here because you disagree with me, I'm celebrating the fact that he disagrees with me after a bit of, you know, it takes me a bit of time, but I eventually get to the place where I celebrate it. Why? Because I have, I understand, not I, you understand, I'm not saying that I'm so great, okay? But when you have these things in place, These things become important. Your life is important to me. Your success is important to me. Because I, not because I want to become some great guy at the top of some pyramid, but because I see something of where we're going and how essential the gift and the life that you have 
vision that you have, the input and the, the, the perspective and all of these things which would often aggravate me as a pastor. Believe me. Instead, you, 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 can, you can balance the aggravation because you appreciate the gift. You appreciate the perspective. And you have to work that in. It doesn't command, you know, I have to be able to have veto power. Alex can disagree with me and then I have veto power and we're okay with that. And everybody in my family and leadership, you understand that's how this works around here. But I need to draw out of you the gift and mature the gift and mature the gift and mature the gift or else I'm going to be standing on some beanpole expecting that I'm going to survive a wind. I'm never going to do that. That's what you have to do in your business. Get an idea for what these are going to mean. Five main areas. Production. Uh, we'll talk about these again some other time because we're going to, because you, we can tell you a hundred times to do a business plan, you won't do it until you understand it. Production. I'll make sure I remember all of them. Marketing. Human resources. Accounting. Sales. Thank you. And so you have those five departments, at least. Now, there may be special things that you need. You, if you're going to build a gold mine in Africa, you're going to need some other departments. And you're going to add to those and put them in different places. But it, you should be, if I see a business plan and you haven't covered off, you've covered everything except your financing, <laughs> you out. Right? If you've told me everything except your resources plan, you're out. You can't do it. And all of those departments... So one, two, three, four, and five, all these departments have issues that are cross-pollinating each other. So if I'm going to hire the very best engineer in the whole wide world in order to do my solar city, then I need to be able to get my money guy organized for the half a million dollar payroll that I'm going to have to make just for one guy. Right? So I have to have a coordination. If I go to the financial statement and I've got this super, you know, Donald Trump kind of a poaching all the executive leaders and I haven't told, and that doesn't show up in my financial statement. So I say I make $2 million a year and except I forgot about all of my management salaries, then it's going to fall apart. And so all of these things now become keys in how you finally get down as to, is this a viable business? You make a lot of you got a lot of bold statements up here in what you're saying you're going to do. Now those bold statements have to filter all the way down to what will eventually become a pro forma, a, 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 a balance sheet. Sean can explain to you if that's what you do. It's a, it's a balance sheet of what you expect is going to happen. And do, does the expectations and all the costs and the insurances and the salaries and the heat and the light and the buildings and the cars and on and on and on and on and on that you make promises about how you're going to do it in such an awesome way up here have got to get all the way down to the bottom and still show that person at the end of the day we're making a profit, okay? And so this all has to be defined and it has to be convincingly defined, okay? Number five, now it's all the way here and we, now we're finally getting to the product and service. So this is when you're defining what is your product and your service. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? How is it going to be delivered? And so here is going to mix in with a few of those things from the marketing talk that is about the design. What does it actually look like? What's special about your baseball cap to somebody else's baseball cap? 
If you're going to sell prescription eyeglasses online, how is it going to happen? What are you going to do? If you're going to make custom-made t-shirts, then how's it all going to work? And what's it going to look like? What's the product? What kind of cotton? How are you going to stitch it? What colors are you going to have? All of this information. If you're going to have a babysitting service, how do you handle the babysitting service? And all the legalities and the lead. How's it all going to work? All gets defined in here. So that that person who's reading it is going to have the ability to understand uh, in their mind, how does your product compete against the products that are already out there? Every business, aside from four and the planet, has a competitor. And in the end of the day, you decide, do I keep Kojiko or do I go to Fios? I'm making that decision. Somebody's going to get my $49 this month. Who am I going to give it to? I'm going to weigh it all out. I'm going to figure it all out. And I'm going to decide who's going to do that. Every business operates like that. So as you define all the product and all the service, somebody legitimately understands a bit about what you're doing or a bit about the industry or a bit about the market, if you will, or the products, they'll be able to say, that's a good idea. Oh my gosh, that's phenomenal. That, people buy that like hotcakes. Or they're going to say, buggy, you're trying to sell buggy whips in, a, in an automotive world. That's never going to work. And they can make that decision. Number six, your marketing and sales. This is particularly how you are going to go to market, so let's just put it as sales so that doesn't confuse you. How does your sales process actually work? We had this phenomenal experience when we were, where were we? I don't know where we were. We've been out, of, out and about quite a bit lately. In some mall. Do you remember Alex, the shoe guy? Oh, yeah, that was uh, Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach. Just phenomenal. So, what you know when you're a business person, it's just a great experience. They have this product where they, you know, they take the white on your, on your tennis shoes, your running shoes, and... They, you know, clean them all up and make them all look brand new again. You had that experience yet? And so this guy was just a hot shot. And we were talking about it afterwards, and they had their sales pitch down. They knew what they were doing, little kiosk in the middle of the mall. And so we talked about it once we were done. We were all like, dude, you know, can we invest in what you're doing? Um, but what would have been the difference if it would just have been the little product sitting on a kiosk without the whole thing? So they pull Alex up. He had his tennis shoes on at the time. They pulled him up and he sat down and they did the whole polish and he's telling him jokes and they're doing the whole thing. Alex didn't even want the thing, but by the time he was done, he was really close to putting his $40 on the thing and getting some soap that makes your tennis shoes white. I think toothpaste will do the same thing, by the way. But the, the matter is the sales, right? How are you going to get somebody to actually reach into their pocket and pull out their $50 and actually buy your tennis shoe whitener from you? How's that actually going to work? Again, it's a lot different. Just, just go on the street, take your little product or your little service, just go knock on a few doors and see how well you do. You'll be surprised at how hard it is. Because you're right down when you're, you're, you know, you can take all the big business idea and all the fancy stuff. In the end of the day, somebody has to reach into their pocket and take their hard-earned money out and start peeling it back for you and handing it to you in exchange. How do you do that? How do you create the perceived value? That's the, that's the number one, right? If I have flowers, everybody's got flowers. But guess what? My flowers last longer, right? And so I can easily pay as much or more for Butts flowers as I can for somebody else because I already believe that Butts flowers last longer. See, it's creating the perceived value now somebody can exchange, right? When Louis Chevrolet, the guy that started marketing Chevrolets, uh, competing against Ford, who was entrenched. Ford sold his Model T for $400. 
Chevrolet decided to sell his car for $410, which you'd think is a bad idea, except what the perception is and is till today, that Chevrolet is just a little bit better than a Ford. And the way he did that was by making it, was making it $10 more, right? So these little things about perceived value, and we learn all this stuff. This is like the coolest stuff, the greatest jokes in the world come from the business world. But amazing how you can, through the planning stages, really take, and as a Christian, oh, you know, oi, as they would say, Going, towards the, going before the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, how do I create perceived value in my product? And him giving you like freak out answers to those questions and giving you such creative ways of doing what, the world just struggles with this, all this stuff. They don't have the, create, the, the access. They tap in every now and again. I'm not saying Steve Jobs didn't tap into spiritual creativity. He did. You have it in a completely different way but you've got the Holy Spirit in just this little Sunday morning at 10 o'clock box instead of saying, okay, Holy Spirit, come on into business. Come on into ministry. Come on into life. Come on into my marriage. Come on into my children. Come on in with my purchasing my new tennis shoes. Come on into every part and show me with creativity how the world works and how we can do these amazing things that we know in Scripture we're promised we can do. Okay, finishing up here. Number seven, financial planning. Let's not put it like that. Let's put funding. This is a real contentious issue in the kingdom. And we kind of, you know, I, I could hear it in some of the questions that came out last time we were together with this whole where does money come from and should I borrow money and all these kind of things. Let me think of the right way, right way to say this. In the business community of our world today, if you have a bigger part of a small thing as your mentality rather than a smaller part of a big thing by which you have investors or debt, chances are the better your idea is, the faster you will be competed out of the market by somebody coming and taking over the business from you. God forbid you get a new Mercedes in your driveway because of your business then all 17 people on your street who are watching you, they're gonna wanna know what you do, and then they're gonna go to their bank manager, and they're gonna outcompete you in lightning fast speed because they're willing to go down the debt road. I'm not telling you that you need to go and get debt like a, a goof. Go spend money and waste all of your money and then have to pay it back. You don't get debt to buy a T-shirt. You take debt and you use debt or better, it's better to have investors because as, as uh, Apostle said, you're not only taking in money, if you have an investor, you're taking in talent. And if the guy's got money to invest, he knows some stuff. Bank managers, they can just be college. They don't, they don't necessarily know anything. But if you get an investor and if somebody that you know and somebody that can watch you and they know if you spend 17 hours a day on Netflix, you know, binge watching, got to catch up on Blacklist and all, then he's gonna, that person, he or she, is going to be able to bust your butt because he's waiting for his payment. He's knowing whether you're goofing off or not. He, he can, now, don't look at it as though I got to hide from these people. These are the people that can discipline us in order to get us into a place that we want to be. 
So getting an investor, for example, or a debt partner is oftentimes giving you the ability, we talked about this last time, it's giving you the ability to do something at an efficiency level that gets your price down or your excellence up or your distribution better or something is happening that is going to make you, through that debt partner, able to do something to outcompete your, comp your competition. Business is war. It is shark tank material. And you cannot be, you, I'm not saying do underhanded things. I'm not saying do, you know, you know, beat up your competition in that sense, in, a, in an unrighteous way. But we have to be, produce excellence. It's what we're gifted to do. It's what we're assigned of God to do. If you're going to run a business, run it with excellence. If you're going to run a ministry, run it with excellence. If you're going to run a home, run it with excellence. Excellence is going to make a way for itself. It will make the non-excellent people go out of business. Our world today exists according to this competition model where the strongest uh, survive and the strongest are the people who do the job better who market better who finance better who produce better who distribute better or whatever and all the betterness that we experience in our life right now is because of this model now we're afraid of it because we're some goody-goody Christians who can't hurt anybody's feeling and it's like Jesus said to his best friend you know get behind me Satan so he's not afraid of offending people Right? I liked, quite frankly, I like the business world better than I like the Christian world. In the Christian world, everything's pretentious. We're all competing with each other. You all like my shirt better than the one you're wearing, and I know it. <laughs> but in the business world, we're all, it's, it's a level playing field. Everybody is using healthy competition to make the world a better place, to build the economic engine that builds because of healthy competition. Because you have to wake up every day, you got to put your, the, the, the nose to the grindstone, you got to do the best job you can possibly do, and everybody is doing that. Every now and again, there's a casualty because of that. But it doesn't have to be a casualty. The market and the economics, the engine that we're talking about here, can just keep on growing as my desire to apostle and grow from him and let him push me and pull me and challenge me as he's doing that he's creating juices on the inside of me for me to do something better if we allow that to happen but don't be afraid of that environment go out there like you're ready to compete one of the areas that you have to be willing to at least understand is the understand is the way to fund the thing that you're doing because we don't do business planning, typically as Christians, we just got to flow with the Holy Ghost. When it comes down to funding, we can never get any. Let's say law. And so we say there's, oh, we shouldn't have funding. We're going to do this without any. That's, that's not good business planning. Especially, imagine the world now. If I give you $100,000 and you can't make $2,000 profit with that $100,000, which by the way is the interest rate you'll pay at the bank on the $100,000 to borrow it. If you can't make $2,000, if I give you $100,000 and you get the money for the entire year, you should be able to make $2,000 in one day if I gave you 100 grand. That means the other 364 days of the year you're making profit on my money because all you're paying me is $2,000 to borrow my money. 
Selah. Now, you're going to go play in this arena. You're on thin ice. You have promised to repay $100,000. So that promise is, is legit. You know, don't say, you know, I need to read up on my bankruptcy laws before I borrow the money so that I know how to get out of this. That's not what we do. I'm not saying it's bad to do that if you have to, but you don't go in knowing that I, I got an easy out here. You go into it knowing that you're going to repay it, knowing that you're going to figure it out, knowing that you're going to get out of bed in the morning, knowing that you're going to do excellence, knowing that you have counselors, knowing that you have ideas, knowing that you have energy, knowing that you're looking for employees, knowing that you're going to serve those employees, knowing that you're going to serve your customers, knowing all these things. And now looking at it in an environment where we are right now, where governments all around the world are artificially deflating the interest rates so that businesses can flourish. They're artificially doing that. The, the interest rates right now should be 13% with the risk that there is in business right now. Instead, it's two, one, three, four. How many have you seen it in your whole lifetime? We didn't have these rates since I was a boy. But Christians now, because they're not willing to prepare, they're not willing to organize, they're not willing to get structured, your competition has borrowed the $100,000. They're going to make at least $100,000 in profit because they have that money and you're not. But you're going to beat them. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that in business. And so what you have to do is you have to revisit the model of not if you should get debt, like, if you can't pay your credit card, tear it up. Today, tear it up. It's going to mess with you. But your business is different. You're borrowing money with a legitimate plan on how to make more money with the money that you've borrowed. You're not getting money to buy a machine or buy a computer or to get a new car. You're, buying, you're borrowing the money for the explicit purpose of making more money with that money. Now, it means you have to buy things. It means you have to build things. It means you have to do that. But that's not the reason. I'm not just buying something in order to buy it. I only buy it if I know it's going to produce 15% more money than I'm paying for it. So it ha in our means it makes a 20% return, and I'm only, making, I'm only paying 5% for it, which means I legitimately expect there to be a 15% profit on this money. As soon as we go below the 15%, I don't borrow anymore. That's how General Motors does it. That's how Apple does it too, but that's how any company that borrows money does it. They make sure, is there a legitimate expectation that you can make more money, significantly more money, than you are paying for the money that you are borrowing. And then it becomes a business thing. Instead of where we have this debt concept, the debt concept is always, I want to get what I want so that I can live a better life. Don't use debt for that. You use cash for that. Okay? Does that make some sense? So I'm not empowering you to just go and go crazy and go bankrupt. But your funding now, how are you going to do it? If, you're, if your project needs a million dollars in order to fund and tool up to the place where it is uh, functioning at, uh, at its optimal level, I think I talked about it before, the, the growth of a business doesn't go like this. A growth of a business goes like this. So you kind of go like what Apostle was saying, you go up to a plateau and then you learn how to become efficient at that plateau 
and then you get to the end where you can't get any more efficient. You can't do anything better in excellence, at which time, in order to get to the next level, you have to reinvest. You have to build something. You have to buy something else. You buy a machine. You buy a new, you set up a new location. You have to buy five more trucks. You have to hire 10 more people. You have to do all of whatever. And in order to tool up now, you're going up to a whole new level of financial structure in your business. And so doing that oftentimes requires you not to just have 10 bucks. You may have to be here. You may have your, you've saved up, let's say, 50,000 of your own money, but you need to turn that into half a million dollars in order to get up here. And this is a little off. To do this jump here costs you, cost you 30 million to do this jump. But every jump typically involves reinvestment or uh, from somebody. And a lot of the times, especially in the early years, your ability to reinvest is sometimes limited because everything that you're doing is inefficient. It's not the best way to do it. And so in order for you to compete with somebody who is more efficient than you, what you have to do is you have to make less profit in order to compete with them. So you see, we, we, the, the business model is weighted away from the entry-level business. The people who are more secure, which is why I want you all to be up here, so that your business isn't just some whisper that's going to vanish overnight. It's got some inertia. It's got some mass. And so, but getting through these early years oftentimes requires that there would be an investment, that there would be somebody that is the cash funding source for the work that you are doing which should be under perfect model, if I could share with you, it should be your father in business, the person who you were apprenticed by. You could tell us your story of that. The father who apprenticed you in business, who raised you, his, his believes in you, is often the person that provides the funding for the early stages of why this work, when this starts to work generationally or with succession model built into it, these early years, the person who is investing is your natural father, your business father, or your, somehow your mentor that brought you into the, who believes in you the most and is the easiest person to get to invest, okay? But understanding how funding works is essential, and we can spend time on that. And then finally, all of this boils down now, as I said earlier, all this stuff goes down into your financial projections, or what we refer to, what Sean refers to as a pro forma, which is basically an imaginary balance sheet and profit and loss statement that takes all of this information, turns it into dollars per hour, you know, dollars per pound, and all of this of what goes on here, and makes it as if it's historical, but it's actually in the future. So that a person who is considering funding, who is considering becoming an employee, who is considering being a supplier, who is considering whatever, all of these things can buy into it saying, this is, this is a viable thing that we're doing, and I believe in what you're doing. So, oh, look at me. One minute left. So as we are doing all of this, Right now, between now and when we're back together again next month or whenever the next meeting is, take what you know now about your business 
and do everything you possibly can to, to do this. You're, you might end up with a two-page document for what for you just don't know. That's better than coming back a month from now or two months from now and saying, I didn't know. You do know something. You know this. You can come back next month and just have this typed out on a piece of paper and your name. So probably you know that. But you probably could fill in a whole bunch more. You could probably start looking at these and understanding them. And as we go through them, as we, I'm hoping to do this, I really don't want to go on to any conceptual business quotations and thinking models until we get the basics. If you don't have the basics, you're, you're, just, you're just warming a seat. You got to do this part. If you don't do this part, faith, hope, and love is not working. It's not going to work because God loves you. He does, by the way. He's not going to work because I do, because I love you. I do, by the way. But that's not how it works. It works very specifically. And you have to overcome them. And you'll see this as you start to define them. You'll be, you'll be reminded at how you think you can make money selling your landscaping services for $8 an hour. That's fun with your brand new Ford F-150 extended cab four-wheel drive 2,500 tonner until you put it in the pro forma. Call Sean and he'll throw this together for you and he'll say, you nuts. You need to sell landscaping for $750 an hour to afford your lifestyle. <laughs> so either you move into Scottsdale or Newcastle or you're changing your business model because you can't afford that truck. Most guys are already at the dealership, got the application in before they've realized you can't afford the truck. Not now. You can, but not now. And it's not the right place to put your money right now, even if you had the money. And that's what all of this will do. It'll organize. It'll wrestle with your mind. It'll, you and Sean can wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle, and your mentors will wrestle, and you'll keep defining and divining. But can I tell you, when you get to the end of this process, you will have your virtual reality glasses on. It won't just be a sketch. You'll be able to walk in the front door. You'll be able to look around. You'll be able to greet Martha, who is your beautifully well-trained receptionist who answers the phone like a champ. You'll be able to walk into your office with whatever that's going to look like, and you'll go into the production. You'll go in to talk to the sales guys. You'll be able to look at this, the sales charts on the walls. You'll be able to find out all of your, pro your customer prospects. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be able to do all that in your mind. When you can do that in your mind, it's not long until you're doing it in real life. And not only that, you'll soon forget about how much money you get to make out of the process. That just will become quite secondary. I, not even secondary. It'll be, oh yeah, Friday. I gotta pick up my paycheck. Because the excitement of your vision, that thing that happens on the, the divine thing that happens on the inside of you, when you start to see that divine thing be visible, doable. It's gone from impossible to inevitable. And it's, it, it's so real. It will be so exciting for you to get out of bed and go do what you're doing. They won't need to pay you to do it. They will, but they don't need to. You do it for free because it's so much of that thing born on the inside of you. Put your hand over your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I know you've called me to participate in the building of the brand new kingdom economic mountain. We know that our lives 
at least to some degree, are to be used inside this economic engine. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm not looking for another teaching. I'm not looking for another CD. I'm looking for how to take the dream, which I know is in my heart, and express that in an influential way into the world around me to change this world for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.